Well, good morning to all of you. Appreciate the opportunity to share this morning. Uh, so last Sunday we had a baptismal service of, uh, that was last Sunday, right? Uh, four young people who, uh, who gave their lives uh, publicly, made a public declaration of their faith in Jesus Christ. And it was a great service, just a good time of celebration. And Merlin talked to us uh, last Sunday about our hearts. And this morning, I'd like to kind of take, come at that a little bit different way, maybe. Again, uh, focusing on our hearts. My message is uh, identifying idolatry. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to uh, Ezekiel chapter 14. This is a subject I guess I've been thinking about for some time. I'm thinking about idols of the heart. I'm just guessing this morning, but I doubt whether uh, anyone here today would profess to be an idol worshiper. We don't have images. Uh, that's for, you know, that's for the people in foreign lands, right? Like India. I know some of you, have, many of you, have been to India and where there is open uh, idol worship. Uh, we have no idols here in the Western world, right? Uh, we're too sophisticated for that. Uh, but there is an idolatry that is much harder, I think, uh, to identify and even more insidious. And that is idolatry of the heart. Um, and as a result, I think uh, we are distracted. We are a distracted people. And our, we, uh, our loyalties are divided and I think oftentimes we really miss out on true worship of a holy God, a living God. So I want to ask some questions this morning as we get into this uh, that will help us maybe identify some of those idols of the heart that, that we may not even be aware of. So if you have your Bibles, I'd like to read uh, now uh, Ezekiel 14, verses 1 through 8. Some of the elders of Israel came to me and sat down in front of me. This is Ezekiel speaking. Then the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, these men have set up idols in their hearts and put wicked stumbling blocks before their faces. Should I let them inquire of me at all? Therefore speak to them and tell them. This is what the sovereign Lord says. When any Israelite sets up idols in his heart and puts a wicked stumbling block before his face and then goes to a prophet, I, the Lord, will answer him myself in keeping with his great idolatry. I do this to recapture the hearts of the people of Israel who have deserted me for their idols. Verse 6, Therefore say to the house of Israel, This is what the sovereign Lord says, Repent, turn from your idols, and renounce all your detestable practices. When any Israelite or any alien living in Israel separates himself from me and sets up idols in his heart and puts a wicked stumbling block before his face and then goes to a prophet to inquire of me, I, the Lord, will answer him myself. I will set my face against that man and will make him an example and a byword. I will cut him off from my people. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Let's bow for prayer. Father, we thank you for your word and for the privilege that we have to look into it. And I, I pray that you would 
guide us by the Holy Spirit as we uh, look into this subject of idolatry. And I pray that you would open our hearts to examine our hearts to see whether we may have idols in our hearts. We just pray for your work to be done among us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So here in this uh, passage, Israel is in uh, captivity in Babylon. And here are some elders, some elders from Israel that come to God's prophet Ezekiel and they sit down in front of him. So that's a good thing to do, right? Uh, they come and they want a word from God. And for the moment, uh, Ezekiel probably was, was thrilled with that. Wow, this is great. You know, here are the leaders of Israel and they're coming to, to seek a word from God. From God, perhaps about the length of the exile or maybe news from, from Jerusalem. But God says, uh, Ezekiel, wait a minute, there's a big problem here. And verse 2 says, The word of the Lord came to me, uh, Son of man, these men have set up idols in their hearts and put wicked stumbling blocks before their faces. So these men, even though on the outside they appear to want to hear a word from God, but they're just pretending. These are idol worshipers, God, God says, and they have set up the worst kind of idols. These idols are not images, they are not statues that they are bowing down that you can see and that you can touch, but these are idols of the heart. I'm thinking of uh, the prophet Isaiah who spoke about these kind of people. Isaiah 29, 13, the Lord says, These people come near me with their mouth and they honor me with their lips but their hearts are far from me remember Jesus talked a little bit about that to the the Pharisees of his day these people honor me with their lips but their hearts are far from me and I'd like to just point out a couple examples too quickly from uh, from the New Testament remember Ananias and Sapphira in the book of Acts and how they they came to the uh to the apostles, and they laid down the money that they supposedly had gotten from the sale of their property. This was, you're saying we got the full amount, and they, they wanted recognition for that, but they were lying to the Holy Spirit, and they were struck dead for that. There's also the, the, the wealthy young ruler who came to Jesus, and he wanted to kind of put out on a good front, you know, making himself to appear to be good, and he asked Jesus, you know, what, what good thing do I need to do to, be, to have eternal life? And, and Jesus looked into his heart and said, what you need to do is go and sell everything that you have and give to the poor, and then you will have treasure in heaven, then you can come and follow me. So that's, Jesus was able to look into his heart. So these are just a few examples of, of individuals who wanted to appear uh, to be very spiritual, but they had idols in their hearts. So what does God say to these people? God says they worship me in vain. They're, they have secret idolatry. If you look at, back at verse 3 now in our text again, uh, they have put wicked stumbling blocks before their faces. So God, knowing their hearts, even though outwardly maybe they're appearing to want to seek the Lord, he says in the latter part of verse 3, Should I let them inquire of me at all? Should God give counsel to those who have supposedly come to inquire, but they have idols in their hearts? How, do, how is God going to respond to that? And the implied answer is uh, no. 
God has no obligation at all to answer them. Verse 4, this is what the Sovereign Lord says, When any Israelite comes, uh, sets up idols in his heart, and puts a wicked stumbling block before his face, then goes to a prophet, I, the Lord, will answer him in keeping with his great idolatry. So what kind of an answer? It says God will answer him. I will answer him. But God's answer will be in keeping with the idolatry, and it will be an answer of judgment. In verse 5, then, uh, God says, I will do this, I will judge them, to recapture the hearts of the people of Israel who have deserted me for their idols. I like the New King James translation here, if you have that, uh, verse 5. God says, I will do this that I may seize the house of Israel by their heart, because they are all estranged from me by their idols. The word seize, uh, that's a strong word. It, it conveys the idea of a, a forceful uh, seizing of prisoners. In order to grab hold of their hearts, God literally lays his hand on them and sends them into exile. And I do this, why? Because they are all estranged from me by their idols. So God is jealous God is a jealous God. He's, he's jealous for our hearts. He wants our total allegiance. God will accept nothing less. And if he doesn't have that, God will discipline us to get us get that back, to get our hearts back. I think how important it is for us to see this, that when our hearts are straying away from the Lord, God allows things to happen to test us, not to hurt us, but to get our hearts. And verse 6 says, This is what the Sovereign Lord then says, Repent, turn from your idols, and renounce all your detestable practices. So this was God's simple response to idolatry, and that is that we must repent. So repentance, if you're familiar with the word repentance, repentance is not just saying sorry, but repentance is turning around and going the opposite direction and renouncing idols, and your detestable practices. Verse 7 and 8, God reiterates that in yet even stronger terms. When any Israelite or alien living in Israel separates himself from me and sets up idols in his heart and puts a wicked stumbling block before his face and then goes to a prophet to inquire of me, I, the Lord, will answer him myself. I will set my face against that man and make him an example and a byword, and I will cut him off from my people then you will know that I am the Lord. So in thinking of idolatry, would you agree with this that uh, we could say that idolatry is the greatest offense that we as humans can give to our creator God? Is that fair enough to say that? Having idols in our hearts is the greatest offense that we can give to our creator God. Well, think about that. You think about the first of the Ten Commandments. You know, what it, what it is, what is it? I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. Exodus 20, verse 2 and 3. In the New Testament, you remember, uh, there was an expert of the law who came to, to Jesus to test him with questions. And he came with this question. Uh, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So God is a jealous God again. And uh, he wants our total devotion. And he will yield that devotion to none other. We cannot have divided loyalties. So here's another statement, and these are not necessarily, I can't prove it, but just something for you to think about. So if the greatest command is to love God supremely and uh, to worship him with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, then could we say that uh, the greatest sin then, if that's the greatest command or the greatest thing that we can do, the greatest sin would then be to disregard God and to not have him first place in our lives. There's an underlying principle here that I'd like to to, uh, just present. And that is that God has created us for worship. God has created us for worship. You think about that. We are created with a, an eternal soul and a spirit that will exist forever, and God wants us to, to worship him. <clears throat> so we, we will worship something. So first and foremost, we are worshipers. We will worship someone or something. We all have a number one passion in life. Think about that. <clears throat> the old English word for worship is worth-ship, worth-ship. So in essence, worship means to ascribe worth uh, to something or something that, that is worth ascribing value to. That's worth-ship. Uh, we sometimes we sing that uh, song, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor. How does the rest of that go? Uh, and power, and whatever. They always just sing that. Uh, Why don't we all sing that together? Thou art worthy, O Lord. Thou art worthy, thou art worthy, thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory, glory and honor. pleasure they are created that's us right we're created for the pleasure of God Jesus said in John 4:24 God is a spirit and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth I don't see that as an option 
It says they must worship him in spirit and in truth. So we worship him, when we worship him in spirit, we, are, uh, we worship him through our spirit. The Holy Spirit of God helps us with that, who is, which are made alive. We are made alive through the blood of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. And we worship him in truth by uh, ascribing worth to him, by revering him and giving him honor and glory and thanks that is due his holy name. But when our hearts are not right, our worship becomes perverted. It's less than what it should be. We are not worshiping him in spirit and in truth. Our worship uh, can be described as as that which uh, commands our attention, our time and attention. Uh, That which commands our time and attention is connected to what we are worshiping. You and I will worship what we value, and we all value something. And I'm kind of, you can see I'm kind of shifting gears here a little bit, but I want to tie our lives with our worship. Worship is not a separate thing that we do when we, we, you know, speak words uh, with our mouth, we say something with our lips, we come to church and we sing songs and we worship God, but our worship is connected to our lives. All of life is, is really an expression of what we worship. And our, our lives are, a, a, are also worship. This is where we're coming to our, our hearts. Uh, we all value something. Jesus said that uh, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So where is our treasure? What we treasure, we worship, we guard that. And when that's taken away from us, we we tend to get uneasy, right? Worship begins in our hearts, and it translates into what we do. All that we think, all that we say, and all that we do reflects what or whom we worship, whether we are aware of that or not. Am I giving my allegiance to something or someone other than God? Who really is on the throne of my heart? Matthew 6, 24 says, No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon or God and money, depending on your translation. So I'd like to say, talking about worship and how it affects our lives, it comes from our hearts and it kind of works its way out through and how we live and what we do and what we say, that idolatry is, in essence, a worship disorder. Think about that. Idolatry is a worship disorder. So when we have idolatry, we are missing out on true worship. We don't really know what true worship is. Are we able to just come into the presence of God and give him true worship? Or are we distracted with, you know, our hearts are just kind of divided and we have divided loyalties. We're distracted. I think about, uh, uh, I think about the smartphone and how distracted our society, our culture has become. You, you see this, there are so many... Uh, accidents on the highway because of distracted drivers 
And we are a distracted people. Uh, and I'm saying that to myself. It's so easy to get pulled into many directions. So I want to ask uh, ten questions now that quickly uh, will help us identify some forms that idolatry of the heart can take. So maybe just a little rabbit trail here, but uh, this may sound strange to you, but I like Corvettes, uh, and I, I love to, to watch them. I love to go to car shows and see them. Uh, I got to drive one when I was 16 years old, and I, you know, this was back in the 60s, so that's when they were really nice. <laughs> Uh, I, I love the way they were made back then. Uh, so I still like to watch them. I'll, I'll never, have, never have one. I'm quite sure of that. <laughs> but I still like them. And is that idolatry? I don't think it is, but it, it could become, right, if I set my heart on that. Uh, here's another thing that may sound strange to you. Uh, when I was younger, I used to be a Yankee fan. I don't know if anybody can identify with There's a couple out there, <laughs> I think we're pretty rare, but uh, I remember one uh, Sunday evening as a boy, uh, it was time to go to church, but I was listening to the radio, I was listening, uh, listening to the Yankees, and uh, the family was all out in the car waiting for me to come, right? So, uh, and, but Yogi Berra was up to bat, and I had to listen to him, I had to hear this, and it went to full count. You know how long that takes? <laughs> that can take a long time. So the family's out waiting in the car. Guess what happened? Yogi Berra struck out. So, so I have to go out to the car and tell them what happened. You know, that's deflated ego, right? And so is that worship? I, I don't think so. But, but these are things that can divide our hearts, you know, away from what really counts. Uh, we may have erected idols. We may have... God's small g in our hearts that we are not even aware of. So here's some questions to ask, and I'm, I'm getting these questions from a book called Solomon's Guide to Worship Disorders by Thomas Johnson. This was a seminar that we attended back in January, and I picked up, I thought this was really good stuff. So number one, uh, what do you dream about? I'm not talking about what you're dreaming at night, but what do you envision for yourself? What, would, what do you think would really make you happy? Uh, is it getting married uh, or owning a profitable business or retiring with comfortable benefits? And none of those things in themselves are, there's nothing wrong with that, right? Uh, but does our dream exclude God in determining what is best for us? Secondly, uh, what makes you angry? How, does, how, does, uh, how do you handle it, or how does it go when you are embarrassed uh, by someone? Or when someone lies to you, or someone dis- disrespects you? How do you handle that? Uh, our anger can be a strong indicator of what re- we really want. If someone you know, touches your buttons or whatever and uh, presses your button. And some, some people know how to do that, right? So, uh, but what makes us angry? And I think anger patterns can reveal how much of me we worship. 
you think about that. What really ticks me off is oftentimes because it affects me. Uh, number three, what do we hide from others? The things that we are not willing to let go of, or the things that we're not willing to let anyone else know about, uh, you know, those, those things that are not open, we're not open about that, uh, those things that we worship are, are usually not open to God, right? Uh, a closed heart is a, also a sign of a captured heart. Uh, number four, what do we hide from God? <clears throat> do you have any secrets that you don't even want God to know? Secrecy is a big red flag over an idol of the heart. It's waving. There's an idol here. It's one thing to hide from people, but if we think we can hide from God, we are seriously deceived. Deception is not from God, but God, uh, deception is from Satan and our own corrupt heart. So we need to look closely for those things that we don't want even God to know about. Number five, what, what do you fear? Fear is a powerful emotion. Fear motivates us in many with different behaviors. Fear can cause us to do, do things. Uh, what brings us discomfort? Are we afraid of being in a, in a large group or we're afraid of what other people might think? What, what do we dread? What's the worst thing that you can imagine that would happen? What do we try to avoid? Our fears can give an indication about what is really ruling our hearts. <clears throat> the Bible says that the fear of man will prove to be a snare. And 1 John 4.18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Number six, what comforts you in times of stress? Where do you, when, it's hurt, when you're hurting, where do you go for comfort? Uh, do you reach for food? Do you reach for drink? Or do you reach for a good book? Uh, or go shopping? Or something like that, or maybe something worse, to just calm your nerves. Where, where do we go? The Bible says the Lord should be our refuge and our strength and the Holy Spirit, our comforter. If we reach for earthly things to cope, we have, uh, we have betrayed God in a sense because God often allows trials and tests to come to our lives to shape us, to get our hearts, to seize our hearts, and if we just try to, you know, salve that away... We have rejected what God is, is trying to do. Number seven, how do you spend extra cash? Our spending habits can, can show our priorities. And I, I know how this works for me sometimes. It's so easy to, to justify what I want, you know, to, to spend money for something that I want. But if somebody else wants, uh, you know, we don't really need that, whatever. Uh, we, we tend to justify spending money for the things that we value. And a quick glance at the, our checkbooks can reveal, you know, another aspect of our treasure. Number eight, what do I complain about? Just listen to yourself a little bit for a little while. What do I complain about? Am I a chronic complainer? Maybe ask your spouse uh, or a coworker. They might know better. 
what do our complaints tend to be about? And that can be a clue as to what is important to us. Do what we complain about, is that a concern for the glory of God or something concerning us? Number nine, uh, where does our identity lie? There are so many things here, I guess, but this is a big one. Where does our identity lie? Where do we, what do we build our identity or on? Our identity is kind of a statement of who we are, and we can be all about that, you know. This is who I am. Uh, and, but at a deeper level, that our identity can be an expression of what we think is important or what, whom we worship. Our perceived uh, our identity that we think we are portraying uh, can take many forms. It can, sometimes it can be seen in what we wear. I think uh, clothing can be a powerful tool for expressing, this is who I am. Uh, and it can connect us with a group of people, a trend, or a movement. But as believers, our identity should come from the fact that we are a child of God. Our identity should be with the people of God. And someone has said this, uh, I like this, we can't claim to be on one team and wear the uniform of the opposing team. Clothing can show what team we are really on. And there, there is a difference. Uh, music does that also. Music affects us in ways that, we are, that are hard to understand. What kind of music do you really enjoy? And what do, you, what do I have in common with the, the musical artists and the fans that, that follow? Well, there are so many different ways that we like to be known by. Just think about those things. And the final one, number 10, is how are my relationships? Do I treasure long-term, lasting relationships with others? Or am I critical of others? Do I try to avoid people? Or am I willing to just kind of run roughshod over uh, other people in order to, to have what I, what I want? So our, our self-serving motives sometimes can hinder our ability to love others. It means that we have another master. God is not our master, but I am my own master. Well, wrapping this up, uh, idolatry, I think, often comes down to our own ego. Uh, If you think about that, a lot of the things that we struggle with come down to the fact that we hold our own ego pretty high, our own persona. We, we tend to worship our own feelings about things more than, you know, really following God. So we are dealing here with questions for the heart. So many people, I feel like, and myself included, we are disconnected from our hearts. We don't really know what's going on in our hearts. We are so distracted. God says in Isaiah 48, 10 and 11, See, I have refined you, though not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my own sake I do this. How can I let myself be defamed? I will not yield my glory to another. This is God. He will not yield his glory to another. So to wrap this up, i just like to ask, I guess, in closing, uh, 
is there anything for the sake of the kingdom that I'm not willing to do? God is able to put his finger on something and say, there, you need to let that go because that's, that's a hindrance to you fully following me. It's important to see that thing, whatever that is, I believe as idolatry. That's idolatry because it's hindering my true worship of, of following God. And to confess that to God and to others who may be affected by it. 1 John 1, nine says, If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. In James 5.16, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. God is asking for total self-abandonment, right? Self, self shouldn't be on the throne. God should be on the throne. I should be willing to do whatever he asks, that I can truly worship him. The songwriter says, Break down every idol, cast out every foe, now wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. <clears throat> Let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for your word and the faithfulness of the Holy Spirit to take your word and, and to help us to apply it to our lives. And I, I pray this morning that we could all just be open before you and, and allow you to, to permeate our being with your presence, your holiness, and to be able to put your finger on things in our lives that are hindering our true worship of you that maybe have become an idol of the heart that we're not willing to let go of. I pray that you would just help us to, that with that this morning and just help us to be willing to do whatever you ask of us. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I think we'll have you stand for closing prayer and then we'll be dismissed. <clears throat> now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. Go in peace. <clears throat>